everybody, and welcome to Scorch Justice, the podcast covering the murders of Jessica Lynn Chambers and Ming Sheen Show. And I'm Woody Overton, your host. So when I left you last, I told you that Jessica died in the burn center in Memphis, Tennessee, surrounded by her family members and loved ones. And I told you a little bit about what the criminal process or the criminal investigation that had begun on the scene where Jessica was discovered. Today, I'm going to delve deep into it, y'all. And I'm going to tell you the facts kind of in a chronological order, but I'm also going to add some insight The sheriff's office responded to the scene, and after the vehicle was put out, they put it on a tow truck and hauled it to their storage yard, didn't cover it up, didn't wait for daylight, didn't do any of that. But by the car, they found a cell phone. Now, again, remember, I've been there. I I stood in this exact spot, and the car was found on Heron Road, it's a small black top with no divider line down the middle of it going up into the hills. And Jessica's car was traveling upwards in the uphill direction, would have made a right-hand turn. And then there's tree farm on either side. And there was a metal gate to the right. And her car was run off the road and jammed into the embankment in between the metal gate and the high dirt embankment to the point where you couldn't gain access to the vehicle through the driver's side door. Now, one of the things they did note on the scene was that, right? That door was jammed in. And the other thing they noted was that the passenger seat was in the laid back position. They also recovered the cell phone on the ground outside of the car with the battery knocked off the back of it and they found two lighters in the immediate vicinity of the car. Now, why in the immediate vicinity of the car? Because they didn't look anywhere else. Jessica had came out of the woods shocking to everybody that was arriving on scene. She comes out of the woods literally on fire. The investigators never searched the woods. They only looked in that small area And once the vehicle was extinguished and it was towed off, that was it. They never worked it as a crime scene, even though they knew it was a murder by this point. So what do you do as an investigator? Well, the next day, the next morning they know she's dead right so they call in the mississippi bureau of investigations and the lead investigator for them the supervisory special agent's name was tim douglas and they actually called him i think at 9 30 a.m on sunday morning he comes out and well i would like to believe that he knows that they've already fucked up and by not 
roping off the area, not even going to search in the woods where Jessica came out of. Now, when I tell you she had 95% burns to her body, the one place that was weird, it's weird to me, that she did not have burns was on the bottom of her feet. Can't really figure that one out, y'all. Unless she had shoes on and it burned off the tops of the shoes in the rubber soles, she stepped out of them. The, I don't believe there's any way you can get out of a burning vehicle if you were in the vehicle and set it on fire without burning your feet if you're barefooted. But that's speculation. What do you do as an investigator? Well, you got to work it. What do you have to go off of? Jessica supposedly saying Eric or Derek. But the first thing that's going to be done is an autopsy. Now, it's, it's a fluid situation, okay? When you bring in outside sources, some people are going to be assigned to different things. The one thing you never want to do in a criminal investigation is get what I call tunnel vision. And tunnel vision is when you focus on one thing or one aspect and you ignore everything else by trying to prove just this one aspect. Now, there's nothing wrong with focusing on an aspect and not letting go of it until you can prove it or disprove it, okay? But at the same time, no matter what that piece of evidence is that you have, you're going to be getting more calls. You're going to be getting more tips. You should look, be looking at everybody. Every, when I work on homicide, I say everybody's a suspect except for me, right? And that's how I treated it. You cannot get tunnel vision. These investigators had tunnel vision to the extreme, to, to a fault. While they're getting together, and once they get Jessica's bodies back, they're going to do an autopsy, all right, of the body. So the official determined cause of death can be established. But one of the things you do at an autopsy, especially on a homicide, you have at least one law enforcement investigator there, if not two, to witness and photograph everything from the opening of the body bag which would be sealed with a lock with a number on it, which would have been done at the hospital before the body was transported, and a photograph would have been taken of it there, and it's compared at the autopsy scene to be matched so no defense attorney can come back later on and say, oh, well, her body picked up evidence during the transport. Well, no, it didn't, because we locked it up with witnesses, photographed the lock and the body bag, and you come back when you when you the very first thing they do when the body's on the table in the bag for the autopsy is they compare the numbers. Then once that's done, that's uh, photographed, and you open it up, and the autopsy begins. What I found very strange in this case, one of the first fuck ups, is that no rape kit was done on Jessica Lynn Chambers. This is a problem. Okay, and remember on, on Scorch Justice, I'm gonna tell you from all sides, I don't care who fucked it up, I'm gonna tell you my personal opinion. Had I been the investigator there, I would have damn sure made, even though she's burned up, and you're probably not gonna get anything under her fingernails or whatever, I would have damn sure made, they would have done a 
sexual assault kid, more commonly referred to as a rape kit. Why? Because as they work the body from head to toe, looking for any type of evidence, well, not gonna be a lot, right? Other than the piece of panties that were stuck to her skin, the rest of it was all burned off. Remember, she was nude. Certainly, you're gonna recover that, but to me, if you're nude or naked, even if you cl the clothes have burned off, which they could have burned off in the woods where she came out of the woods, we don't know because the investigators fucked it up. They never went and looked. It seems like there should have been something, maybe the shoes, whatever, but we don't, we'll never know that because they fucked it up. But at the autopsy, you damn well better believe I'm gonna make sure a rape kit's done, especially the fact that she's found nude. Now let's throw this hypothetical out there. Let's say that whoever did this to her raped her and then killed her and, or thought they killed her and, and lit her on fire to dispose of the evidence. Regardless, the fact that she's totally nude except for the one piece of panties, hell, I mean, any idiot could figure out that that might be a sex case. And if you go in and they swab the vagina for semen, you get DNA, you match that to a suspect, then you can use that in numerous ways, right? If they're in the database, well, hell, you know, the last person that had sex with her, at least, they're gonna claim it was consensual, but you, you wouldn't do that. You would get that person in, and of course, they may deny. They may think they've gotten away scot-free, right? So you, you try to lock him in a statement. When was the last time you saw Jessica? Oh, well, whatever. Okay, well, if, you, if they lie to you, then they're fucked. Or you say, you know, what was your relationship with Jessica? Oh, we were just friends. You know, we rode around and smoked weed together. Um, well, so you never had any type of sexual relations with her? No, no, I, I hadn't. Well, boom, bitch, we got you. You know, they explain why your semen's inside her vagina. But all that's gone. They can't use any of that. Why? Because they didn't do a rape kit. And shame on the pathologist or the forensic pathologist who didn't think to do it on his own. It's just bullshit. I don't care if it looked like there was signs of penetration or not. I don't care how burnt up she was on the outside. If her anus was burnt or vagina was burnt, you can reach inside to, to at least swab and do the swabs for semen or bodily fluids and have those sent in to be tested for DNA. Wasn't done. All right, skipping past that. What happens now? As a homicide investigator, whether you're from the Mississippi Bureau of Investigations or Panola County Sheriff's Office or whatever, you gotta work the case. And you always start in a homicide investigation by doing a couple things. One, you want to establish the timeline of what the victim was doing in their that the day, their last hours, right? You want to establish the everything from what's the last thing they ate. Well, that's that's something that can be done in autopsy. Every autopsy I've ever been, they cut out the stomach, they cut it open, and they they pour the contents into the bowl and they try to figure out what the it was the last thing the person ate. Sometimes you have undigested food and that can give you an approximate time of death. Although we're pretty sure on this one, she was set on fire around, you know, 7.40 p.m., something like that. But that wasn't done. 
We'll get back to that later. But you establish that timeline and you're gonna do, I, if I was running, I would have split it right there. One, I wanna know everything about Jessica Chambers that I can. I'm gonna have somebody assigned to that. Two, you're establishing the timeline of her last day and her last hours. Who did she see? Who did she talk to? Phone records, right? Any witnesses, anybody that she was with that day, you wanna to talk to them and you wanna to talk to them hard. But that that's two major pieces. But on the flip side, while you can have someone doing that, you always, always, always start out in homicide investigation. Unless you have somebody shooting somebody on video, and I mean, this is a whodunit. Jessica Lynn Chambers was a whodunit. On a, on a whodunit, you always start out with the family members, all right? I'm getting a detective to interview every one of them, from the dad to the stepbrothers, stepsisters, half-brothers, half-sisters, mom. I want to establish where they were, when's the last time they talked to, to Jessica, whatever alibi they give, I'm going to alibi them out. I'm going to prove, I'm going to stay on that person until I can prove that they had nothing to do with it, right? Right, And that's what you don't see a lot in these cop shows and stuff like that is the grunt work, the boots on the ground stuff. But that should have been done. She had a huge family. He, all these seven brothers and sisters and the mom and the dad and whatever. Hell, you never know who or what the motive was. Then you're going to look at anybody she's in a relationship with, right? At the same time, this is all going on. It's all fluid. And you're going to interview them. When was the, Where were you? When was the last time you talked to Jessica? How did you hear about it? And you, and you always try to lock them into their original statement because it will be huge later on if you can come back and prove that they're lying, that their alibis don't work, that their timeline doesn't work. Then you have to stay on their ass until you can prove their alibis, or a lot of times they'll change their stories. Sometimes they're innocent. Sometimes they, they were screwing their neighbor's wife or something, right? And they didn't want it to get out. Well, you know, when you come back and like, bitch, you were lying about this. Now, you know, the only reason to lie is because you, you had something to do with Jessica's murder. And people told me all kinds of different things. And then you find out the truth. And guess what? They really weren't suspects. They just didn't want you to know what the hell they were doing. But it's not just one person, y'all. So you got multiple detectives working. You should have multiple detectives working all these leads, locking everybody into their statements, running down their statements and alibis on each individual person so they can be excluded. At the end of that work day, you gonna, or whenever, you're gonna get back together with your other detectives and, or investigators, and you're gonna sit down and say, okay, what do you have? A jam session, right? That's what I called them jam session you're gonna go around the room joe blow's gonna say okay i was working on this then this is what the person said and i was able to alibi them out i was able to go get a videotape they were at the movie theater whatever it may be you go around the room and then once certain people have been eliminated the ones that are still left on the table then you start to look at those right and, and dig into them a little bit further but you always start with the family the loved ones, people that were in relationships, best friends, the people that who in Jessica's life that would have been closest to her, all right? 
But you've got to get the cell phone records. You've got to get, go pull any video surveillance that you can from anywhere that any of these people are talking about. I mean, it's a huge undertaking, y'all. It's a whodunit. But you've got to have this information. You've got to get it. You know why? Because time passes and two things happen. One, evidence gets lost. Video cameras, like security cameras at stores and stuff like that, they record, you know, they loop over the record and you lose it forever. People's stories change, right? The, or if too much time goes by, they may remember things incorrectly. So you, you want to hit out, you want to hit it hot and hit it hard. Well, let me tell you what they did on Jessica's case, okay? They were stuck on the Derek and Eric thing. I'm gonna give you a little bit of a timeline, all right? Hey y'all, let me tell you about Every Plate. Every Plate is America's best value meal kit. And while most meal kits come with a premium price tag, Every Plate offers delicious dinners that won't break the bank. Every Plate is much cheaper than other national brands. Let Every Plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. Choose from 17 delicious weekly recipes and then, well, sit back. They'll deliver pre-proportioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipe cards right to your front door. Choose between 17 recipes that change each week and swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking. Think of it this way. One meal from every plate is about the same price as one cup of coffee and probably cheaper than that pumpkin spice latte or whatever else that it is that you might like. Every plate's lower price point is the differentiating factor from them and other brands. That's what sets every plate apart. Y'all, the last one I cooked was garlic rosemary chicken with roasted root veggies. Came with everything pre-proportioned so I didn't waste anything. It's 590 calories per serving. And some of the ingredients that were in the box, carrots, sweet potato, Yukon gold potatoes, rosemary, red onion, chicken breast, garlic, and chicken stock concentrate. Hey, it took about 20, 25 minutes for us to prepare it. Cindy and I loved it. The family loved it. It's like eating out at a restaurant, y'all. I love every plate. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code SCORCHED179. Get started with every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code SCORCHED179. Again, every plate, try it now for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code SCORCHED179. 179. Y'all, that's up to a $104 value off an Everplate meal. Give them a shot. I've been eating it for two years now, and we love Everplate. So the investigators begin questioning suspects, okay? They question between 30 and 40 that, that night and the next couple of days, and some of them they held for two days for questioning. Guess what they got out of it? Dick. They got nothing. No leads, all dead ends. All right. And then on 
December the 7th, 2014, the day after, AJ, Jessica's sister, set up a Justice for Jessica page on Facebook. It got over 150,000 followers in 24 hours. And that's when all the wannabe detectives picked up on this case and come out of the woodwork. But you better damn well believe that if I murdered Jessica Chambers and her sister sets up a Justice for Jessica page the next day, I'm gonna be on that bitch. I'm gonna be watching news reports I'm gonna be watching everything I can, listening, I'm a, the Screets talk, right? S-C-R-E-E-T-S, so that's what they used to say, the Screets talk. And I'm, I'm gonna be listening on the streets, seeing what people are saying. If I murdered her, I'm gonna try to stay ahead of law enforcement by figuring out what direction they're going in and what they know. One of the fallouts from the Jessica's sister setting up the page just for Jessica was when the investigation that they're trying to establish Jessica's timeline, one of the last thing that, or the last place she was seen or anybody admitted to seeing her was at that M&M store. That's the store, I think it's Highway 51, that I told y'all I stood in in the early morning and watch all these guys come in getting ready for work and you can get anything in there from a pack of gum to flashlights, right? I mean, it's, it's just jam-packed full of stuff. But it was run by a guy named Ali Asani. And he voluntarily gives investigators the videotape from the store which shows Jessica in there. And he told him, he said, look, she came in and she filled up her car. And he said something to the fact to her, like, and what's unusual, you fill up the car. And you know, I think it was like $11 to fill up her Kia. And Jessica's like, yeah, well, I, I got somewhere to go tonight, right? And this is in the evening time the, on December the 6th. And he thought that was strange because she only put a couple of dollars in her in her car at a time, you know, just to get from point A to point B. Like most people, young people, you know, for financial reasons, they do that. But he thought it was strange. But he calls the cops, says, hey, hey, she was here. She was here. I, you know what? I, matter of fact, I've got her on videotape. Come get the videotape. So investigators do. They went and got it. At some point, the news media picks up on this and they interview this poor guy, Ali Asani, and the internet goes wild with accusations. Oh, he killed her, he's a terrorist, and he's this and he's that. The, if the, there was anything that was done on a racial profiling or, or a ethnicity profiling, I guess you would call it, then this poor bastard got it. I mean, they, they convicted him on social media before the investigation has even taken off, right? And the that and that to me is a form of racism, but it is what it is. Obviously, he didn't have shit to do with it. But so the investigation goes on and they're interviewing, but they're focusing on the Derricks and Eric's. But at 
some point in time, they talked to her friend that she rode around that morning and busted the loop with, right? Remember when she was in the car smoking weed with Quentin Tellis? And the girl gives up Quentin Tellis's name. No big deal, right? It's another lead that has to be followed down. And Quentin Tellis, I told y'all, lived where the M&M store was. If you're walking out the front door of the M&M, he lives di diagonally to the right of the store. His driveway is. And his house is across the highway from that. One of the cameras, and I saw the camera, you know, one of the cameras is actually pointed covering that side of the parking lot, and it covers Quentin Tellis' driveway. Well, investigators didn't really go look for Quentin Tellis on the tape at that point. All they knew was that he had been with Jessica that morning, busting the loop, riding around smoking a joint. So they go and interview him. He says, yeah, you know what? I was with her. Uh, we rode around, we smoked some weed that morning. He said, but she dropped me back off at my house around 11 or 12 o'clock, and I never saw her again. And Lakeisha, y'all, backs that up, right? And there's, there's some conflicting stories, whether Jessica that morning picked Lakeisha up first or Quentin up first, but whatever. They were in the car together. That's neither here nor there. But that's how investigators got turned on to Quentin Tellis is because of Lakeisha. Now they're doing, rightfully so, they're doing what should have been done. They're establishing that timeline. But when they talked to him, they said he was cool, calm, collected, believable, right? And just like nonchalant. Yeah, 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 that's right. I mean, we smoked some weed that morning and she dropped me off and around noon and never saw her again. Okay, they leave it alone. In their mind, Quintellas is clear. And this is three days after Jessica was burnt to death, okay? But he, he offers up this caveat. He, he tells the investigators that there's a guy named Derek Holmes who was strange and had been harassing Jessica. Okay, holy shit, right? The Derek, Eric, Jessica, who did this to you, sweetie? Derek or Eric, wh whichever one she said. So you think that, boom, they're gonna run and, and just tear that up. So on December the 12th, there was $11,000 offered cash as a reward for any information about what happened to Jessica, all right? In January of 2015, like um, less than a month later, that reward jumps to $43,000, y'all. Now look, that's a lot of money for Cortland, Mississippi. All right, the, when I, I gave y'all some statistics, it's 500 people in the town, et cetera. And I think the average, the medium household income is in the, is it like 40,000, something like that. So $43,000 is a lot of money. And remember, the streets talk. And you damn well better believe if someone knew something, they would have came forward and said it. They're continuing to run the investigation, y'all. Quintellis didn't really give them too much 
thought after that, other than he gave up this other guy named Derek, and they sure had to go check Derek out. Turned out, I, th I believe that Derek was a sex offender on top of that. But when they did interview, tell us he played down the relationship. It was like, I hadn't known her long, denied any romantic involvement or whatever. He just, just downplayed himself to a minimum and gave an alibi that he was at some party at a gravel pit or some shit like that. So the investigation goes on. The investigators following the shit out of some leads, all right? At one point, there was a reporter out of the state of Iowa who calls in and says that someone up there was saying that they killed Jessica. Now, let's put that into context. Cortland, Mississippi to Iowa. I don't know how far that is, but it's got to be a pretty fucking long distance. All right. So what do you do? As an investigator, you got to follow that lead, and rightfully so, they should have. In so many other cases, this lead was just one more bullshit lead. All right. They, they followed it up, and the guy was just full of shit. But for Jessica's case to be in Iowa, some dudes bragging about killing Jessica Chambers in Mississippi, that tells you what kind of heat or what kind of stroke this case became nationally. Beautiful, blonde girl out of Northwest Mississippi gets burned alive, and then it got on social media, and it just blew up. And it becomes what I call an ape, or an acute political emergency for these investigators. They are getting national media coverage now on Jessica's case, and they have dick. But the investigation continues. At some point during the investigation, another person confessed to a family member that they murdered Jessica. Holy shit. Boom. You, you know, this family member calls it in. Boom, you're going to run out and hit it. It's another hot lead. Now, you, a lot of times you're almost just sitting around waiting on a break, right? And you run out and check it out. Well, they were full of shit. The, it was a lie, and that person was able to alibi out. Remember, this is what I'm telling y'all. I almost used to cringe anytime one of my homicides would get run on the evening news because you could just wait. You could sit in the office and the phone lines would start ringing with crazy people calling in bullshit, like the guy up in Iowa and then this person telling their family member they killed Jessica. I mean, maybe they want the family member to be scared of them, but it was bullshit. I mean, but you have to wade through the bullshit to get to the truth. The family, meanwhile, is grieving. They have all this attention. Now, this is a town of 500 people. And I bet you there was more media people and news reporters and, and armchair detectives, and et cetera, coming into Cortland looking at it than they had the population in the whole town. But Jessica's own dad thought a guy named Roger Lynn Hintz murdered Jessica. Where he got it from, I don't know. But that's when he 
tells law enforcement. And these law enforcement now are his people, the sheriff's office. He works there. And it, the, he went from being a trustee, doing such a great job as a mechanic, to being the mechanic who serviced their vehicles. So he knows them all, right? But he tells them that Roger Lynn Hintz did it. And then Hintz threatened to kill Jessica during an argument over drugs. Now, this is her own dad saying this. Then uh, if her own dad has suspects in mind, you can imagine with the rest of the world who's picking this up through social media, which, you know, everything on the Internet is absolutely true, right? Not in the end, and, but everybody wants to be involved. But they go interview Hintz, and there's no evidence that this ever took place. None, absolutely none. Hence, alibied out. He didn't kill her. But meanwhile, they focus. The main focus was and continued to be on anybody named Eric or Derek. So what did they do? They interviewed over a hundred and fifty people just in that area alone, and all of them turned out to be dead ends. All of them turned out to be bullshit. So what do they do? They expanded their search to Panola and the surrounding areas. Now, y'all, again, Panola County, Mississippi, is where the town of Cortland is. It's a pretty big county, and they have some bigger cities inside the county, a lot bigger than Cortland, like Batesville and stuff like that. They look up every single person named Eric or Derek. Every single one of them. Y'all, it was over 465 people that had the unfortunate luck, if you will, of being named Eric or Derek. And most of them were African-American, all right? All of them were interviewed. All of them came back and were able to be excluded. But this is where some of the racial tension started. I mean, I get it. You know, if most 80 or 90% of these 465 Eric and Derek's they interviewed were African American, then you got a murdered, burned to death white girl. Then if, if my I'm Eric or Derek and I'm African American, you come, I've never even been anywhere near Cortland. I mean, you're in the surrounding counties now in Mississippi and you come banging on my door talking about where were you on December the 6th and you know you know you did it uh, how whatever term they tactics they use and I can assure you they probably try to lock him into a statement and then probably you know in a gentle way called him a liar and said you know what she said your name I would have always had a picture of Jessica and I might have had pictures of the burned body for shock value, you know, to lay in front of people and say, say you know, so you don't know anything about this and you want to watch their facial features and their reactions. 
well, you know what? Out of 465 of them, probably 460 of them were African-American. And you come knocking on my door. I've never been anywhere near Heron Road. Don't even know where it's located at. And you're accusing me or you're trying to get me to tell you where I was and everything else. Well, fuck, I, I'd have said it was, you were being racist too. I mean, you're only here because it's a white girl and I'm a black dude. That's where it starts to turn racial, okay? But it's not about race. The fuck-ups on the law enforcement part, whatever tactics and questioning they use on, on everybody, not just the Eric and Derek's, even Quentin tell us that anytime you question a black man about burning the death of a white girl, well, that goes back to that long term ingrained stuff, especially in the South, you know, where, like Jessica's dad said, I don't like her dating black guys. If you're an African American and the popo shows up at your house and they start questioning you about the murder of a white girl, well, what are you gonna think? Shit, you, you're being questioned about a murder. And they're telling you, um, well, you know what? She said your name. And I'd be like, bitch, get out of my house. This is what I'd have said, you know? And the only reason you're here is because I'm black. But I'm gonna tell you this, Jessica Chambers was murdered and it didn't have shit to do with her being white, okay? So this whole racial thing, and this will come up again and again and again as I do this series, the race card comes up again and again and again, but it's not the color of the skin of the killer. It's the fact that that person was a killer. And they burned Jessica Lynn Chambers alive. And I'm going to end this episode of Scorched Justice, the murders of Jessica Lynn Chambers and Ming Sheen show. Y'all make sure wherever you listen to this podcast, take a second and hit like or subscribe. The next episode, I'm going to get into the investigation and how it took a turn and what eventually led to the arrest of the suspect and the murder of Jessica Lynn Chambers. Scorch Justice is a production of Cloud 10 Media and Real Life Real Crime Productions. The show is executive produced by Cindy and Woody Overton and Sim Sarn for Cloud 10 Media. Matt Provisano is our supervising sound editor. The music is by Josh Cook. Artwork by Brian Stephanie. Be sure to download, subscribe, and like Scorch Justice anywhere you can download a podcast. 
You can follow me, Woody Overton, on Instagram at Overton Woody and at Real Life Real Crime to hear what I've got coming next. Thank you. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.